And we're going to be returning to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, um, open them up. Chapter 5. I hope you have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking. We're going to start reading at verse 31. You know, there are a few topics I'd rather not address more than the topic of divorce. In some ways, I'd like to hop over this text. Why would I do that? Just because I don't know if there's a deeper pain or more sorrow than that from divorce. And I'm reticent to, to dig up the hurt. I'm, I'm fearful to inflict harm. The truth is like light. And exposing darkness, it can be painful. And there's so much darkness. There's so much pain in divorce. It's like, divorce, it's like a raging sea of anguish. There's pain, there's hurt, there's, there's brokenness, there's regret, there's depravity. By the grace of God, I, I'm not divorced. Without God's grace, I probably would be. I would venture to guess that there's few, if any in this room, who've not in some while been impacted just by the brokenness of divorce. I have. You know, the, the divorce that's affected me most is actually 50 years old. I'm twice removed from it. So how could that affect me? Well, I'll tell you, that divorce, it, it shattered the world of a four-year-old girl. Oh, that, that was not the intent of the divorce. The rage, the bitterness, the hurt, the pain, that was, meant, that was meant to be reserved for the two broken people that had devastated each other's lives. But it's impossible to contain such devastation. Almost like a, a nuclear accident, the fallout is just widespread. And what was designed and covenanted for good turned into destruction. When that little girl grew up, I met her and I married her. And as my life was joined to hers, I began to see the sorrows and the impact that this had had on her life. Oh, divorce has an awful half-life. It, it's, it's meant to end pain. But that pain, it, it lingers. And more sorrowful, it's often transferred. Friends, divorce is a darkness like, like no other. 
but I am going to speak on it. I'm even glad to. Because truth is like light. And the light gives hope. It draws us out from the darkness. And walking in that light will ultimately be the best thing we can do. And because I want the light of Christ to shine in this darkness, I want, I want God to be found true, though every man is a liar. I, I want us to know today our God is good. He is trustworthy. His ways are perfect. May we pause just and pray that he'd open our eyes this morning and help us believe that. God, we ask that you today would be glorified in our midst. Oh God, would you, would you help us to taste and see your goodness today? God, would you meet us individually where we are? Would your spirit minister to our spirits? I pray, God, if there's anyone here today who, who does not know the hope the forgiveness, the peace of the grace of God, that they could taste and see your goodness. They could, they could understand where there is salvation and hope found in Christ and Christ alone. God, would you help me speak your word clearly, faithfully? God, be glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. Verse 32. It was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Today, we're going to take a brief look at this text. But, but rather than just simply dwell on the topic of divorce, I also want to take time today to look at God's blueprint for marriage. We want to hear what Jesus has to say, but we also want to stop and think and consider what is it that God had designed for his creation? You know, again, can we, I, it's, it's hard to grasp the, the darkness of divorce. It, it's such a tragic thing. It, it's so tragic because it, it starts with two people that are, are, they're in love, they're committed, they're determined, and it ends. It's the end that no one desires. It's a path that nobody plans. The utter tragedy of divorce is so lamentable because it's fidelity that's turned into a farce. It's love that's turned into a stone. It's commitment that's been broken. And it's, it's devastating. It, it causes so much grief, so much harm. And so Jesus, 
He's just concluded speaking about hatred. He's just concluded about speaking about lust. And in that text context, he's brought up the idea of adultery, this spiritual adultery, if you will. But then it's like as he stops and to say, well, as long as I'm on that topic, I want to clarify something. You have heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Jesus is, is quoting a passage from the Old Testament, from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24. There you can read, this was what Moses prescribed, that if a, a, a husband, it says, finds an indecency in his wife, he's supposed to give her a, a, a certificate of divorce. Seemingly, the idea was it's, it was supposed to be a safeguard against divorce. Instead of two people just blowing up and saying, I have it, it made an official kind of, okay, wait, you have to sit down, you've got to get a witness, you've got to have this signed. The indecency, although that word is a little vague, it was speaking of what Jesus is speaking here. It was, the, it was a breaking, a transgressing of that marital covenant through immorality. But the Jews had, had widened that interpretation. In fact, at the time of Jesus, there were rabbis of whose works we can still read today who said, well, finding a, a fault in your wife could be as little as her burning dinner. It could be basically whatever fault you want to find. This was clearly not God's intent. What he is saying is you use God's word as a means to accomplish your own selfish and sinful desires. This is an abomination. You see, and this is why, by the way, that we study the word of God so we can understand what it really says. Because so many people throughout history have bent it, twisted it, and put in God's word their own meaning and used it to justify their own sin. You see, the thought, the thought should really terrify us of either adding to God's word or taking away from God's word. And that, in a sense, is what the people were doing there. In fact, you well may realize that the, that the last book of the Bible, almost the last verse of the Bible, is written, and there's a, there's a word there that should get all of our attention. Revelation chapter 22, verse 18 says, I warn everyone who hears the word of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add the plagues described in this book to him. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. That should sober us. We should seek that our lives, that we understand God's word, that we embrace God's word, that we seek by his spirit to live out his word. Anyways, the Jews certainly cared more about themselves than God's law. And they deceived themselves in thinking they were following God's law. 
Jesus says, verse 32, but I tell you, He says, anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery. Jesus' words here are, are, are clear. They may be hard for us to understand or even embrace. But he's saying, in the case of adultery, and only in that, is there a, a lawful reason for a marriage to end? It's a legitimate divorce. Because, because the Jews were actually saying, well, look, we can basically divorce for any reason. You might call it a, a no-fault divorce. A no-fault divorce was, was introduced into my country in the 1960s. Well, it's nobody's really fault. We're just going to end the divorce. Friends, there's always fault. In fact, I can tell you what that fault is. It's sin. Sin creeps in and it destroys marriages. It destroys that bond. Now, God does add later in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, an, another place where God says, hey, there's a, there's a reasonable permission for divorce, and that is when someone has abandoned their spouse. Now, the complications and difficulties that proceed from this are abundant. They're, they're, they're complicated. We're not going to spend time today trying to unpack all the possibilities, all the scenarios about what if this and what if that. They are really hard to understand. Actually, if we had more time, we would we'd proceed to Matthew chapter 19 because Matthew chapter 19 kind of continues this question and, and Jesus takes it a little further because the Pharisees come back and they ask him, they say, wait, I, I, a little clarification on this point. And we're gonna go to Matthew 19, but we're just gonna stop with what Jesus said to his disciple or to the, to the people. Matthew 19, if you turn there, Verse four through six. I'd like to spend the rest of our time just this morning talking about marriage. I want to talk about God's plan. I want to talk about our problem. And I want to talk about God's provision. God's plan, our problem, and God's provision. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse four and six, they asked him about, wait, what about this divorce clause? In verse four, he says, have you not read that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female? And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What there, for God has joined together, let no, no man separate. Now, God's word here is so clear. It's so concise. It's wonderful. In 60 words or less, there is here the seed to all we really need to know about marriage. It's all 
by the way, what he's quoting from Genesis chapter two. Core key truths about marriage. Let's think about this. Number one, men and women. Note that he said, do you not know that from the beginning he created them male and female? That is how God created us. He has given us and made us who we are. So marriage starts with a man and a woman. I know there are many asking. No, actually, they've stopped asking. Now they insist that it does not need to be a man and a woman. Friend, God is describing marriage here, not me. If this was an ingredient to marriage, I, what can we say? God's, it's God's recipe. I mean, it doesn't matter who we are. If, if, if you want an apple pie, you will never have an apple pie if you substitute blueberries for apples. Call it what you want. It is no longer an apple pie. And so if we, have, if we take any of these ingredients and we take them out, we shift them, we sort them, we no longer have marriage. And so God says, he beginning, there's a man and a woman the second thing there is, there is severance. God is saying, you are going to sever from your relationship from your parents. A man's going to leave his father and mother. So where it doesn't mean that we stop the relationship, it ends, it means that we're starting a new entity. And there is a level to where if that bond is not severed, it can make things complicated. Number three, there's a permanence. It's a permanent bond. The two shall become one flesh. It's a beautiful thing. It's, it's a one-way door. It is, it, is, it, is a, it is a bond. It's not just two things grabbing to one another. The two become one. And that's permanent. So there's severance, there's permanence, and there's, there's, there's unity. No longer two but one. That, 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 that unity is talking about how, how it's a united together. We're just like, like one body. This also speaks of intimacy. Because, because that is what God is, is designing this, that, that it's, it's unique, it's special, it's exclusive. And so that this bond, it belongs to nobody else. It's shared with nobody else. It, it is right here. And that unity, by the way, and that intimacy, it wasn't just with each other. It was God being brought into that as well. Because that is what God wants with us. He wants us to be united to him. He wants us to be close to him. And so if today you're, you're, you're not married, God does offer that to you himself. God wants to be unified. He wants your life to be unified with his. He wants your life to be, your life to be close to his. So that's God's plan. What is our problem? Actually, if you follow the text from Genesis chapter two and you keep reading in Genesis, it introduces our problem. If you know the text of Genesis, right after God pronounces this extraordinary blessing, this, this extraordinary union 
of marriage. The next chapter, chapter three, it introduces the serpent. And in, and in 14 verses, we read about mankind turning from God. And God says to Adam, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plant of the field and by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. When sin entered the world, when sin entered the world, it affected everything. Everything. In fact, the Bible tells us that creation remains groaning. We lost our fellowship with God. We lost that unity with God. We lost that intimacy with God. Marriage lost that unity. And marriage lost that intimacy. Because self became the focus. In fact, let me back up to God's purpose for marriage. The purpose of marriage. Don't miss this. What is the purpose of marriage? The purpose of marriage is to glorify God. Don't, don't miss that. That's really important. What is God's purpose for marriage? Great. You're listening. Hold on to that. That's a very important piece. You see, self became the focus after the fall. Now, I don't know exactly how to break this to you gently, um, so I'll ask it in the form of a question. When God said to Adam, oops, when God said, cursed is the ground because of you, who was he speaking to? I kind of said it. Adam. <laughs> Great. He was speaking to Adam. But friends, if you, if you take this account and you pull it together with what God tells us in Romans chapter 5. You want to turn there for a second? Turn your Bible. We're getting a lot of Bible exercise today. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It was Adam. But if we frame the words of Genesis with what God says in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Romans 5, 12 tells us, just as sin came into the world through one man, there is that one man, it's Adam, and death through sin. So death spread to all men, and here it is, because all sinned. You see, the curse that came onto the earth, friends, we have a part of that. The brokenness that entered into marriage because of sin, we have a part of it. You might be thinking, wait a second, I, I'm, not, I'm not even married. How can that be? Because of our choosing darkness. It has destroyed everything. Cursed is the ground because of you, because of me. 
You see, we've all contributed to this dark abyss of divorce. All of us have. You see, because our, our sin is not in a vacuum. Just, just because nobody else knows about my sin, it would be ridiculous to think it doesn't affect anyone else. It does. It always does. So the fallen goal of marriage, if the God's goal for marriage was to glorify God, the fallen goal of marriage now is to glorify self. It's to fulfill self. I mean, isn't that why people get married? He makes me so happy. Oh, she is so wonderful. Oh, her, her love and affection, it fills me. Friends, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I mean, true confession, when, when, when I met Ursula, I was not thinking, hmm, wow, our lives, our lives could glorify God better together. Man, I'll tell you what I was thinking. Whoa, she's amazing. I cannot believe, I can't believe she's even interested in me. And my wife is amazing. She's, she's an extraordinary wife. She, she's a, she's a, a priceless friend. She's an amazing mom. But even with all of that, she is a terrible savior. What, what, what do I mean by that? You see, when I look to her for fulfillment, to meet all my needs, to fix all my blemishes, when I expect her to have perfect patience, to be completely without fault. Oh, how disappointing. Because she's not. You see, we make the goal of marriage to fulfill us. And when it stops fulfilling me, when it stops being nice, when it ends being fun, when the fizzle fades... I think, I wonder if there's other options. I wonder if I married the wrong person. If you read Ted, Tim Keller's book on marriage, he'll, let you, he'll answer that one for you. You did. You didn't marry the right person. But you married the one that God has joined your life to. And so then, after you said, I do, they are the right person. So we sin doubly. We turn away from God and, and we make our spouse an idol. And now our expectation is my spouse should satisfy me. And then we rage against our spouse for not doing what they ultimately cannot. Fulfill us, satisfy us, make us happy. Friends, this is a rich blend of blindness, foolishness, and sin. You see, when self and desire sits on the throne of your life, nothing will satisfy you. Nothing. Not even the best spouse in the world. This is trying to fill an infinite gap with a finite solution. But not only is it the wrong goal, it's the wrong solution. Is it any wonder People can be so miserable in marriage. Is it any wonder marriages hang over the precipice of divorce and ruin? 
You see, God said it this way, Romans 1, 25, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God turned their hearts to foolishness. He gave them over. Well, that's our problem. Let's talk about the provision. Turn one more time in your Bible, will you? Turn into your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want to talk about God's provision. Hopefully this is a topic you're familiar with, maybe not from this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. God says this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is such a great picture of the gospel. He calls sin, sin. He does not minimize it. He does not excuse it. He doesn't look over it. God is clear, too, about the outcome of sin. Eternal separation from God. These sins, they cause dark stains. They cause tremendous damage. But hallelujah, verse 11. What does it say? That was what you were. It is not who we are. Why? Because if you are in Christ, you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. What you were is no longer your identity. Washed. The filth of our sin, God says, I will wash it. Isaiah the prophet, though your sins be as scarlet, I will wash them like snow. Sanctified, that is the idea of being set apart. Your purpose in life used to be for ruin, for sin, for destruction. I'm setting you apart for goodness, for grace, for glory. I have a new purpose for you. In fact, this is the original purpose I had from you that you were missing. I'm sanctifying you to glorify me justified. Do you know what that word means? It is being declared innocent. How can this group of people be declared innocent? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. He became sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
It is that great transaction, our brokenness, our vileness for his righteousness. He's washed us. He's sanctified us. He's justified us. Can you say this? I hope you can. I hope you can say, I used to be fill in the blank. I don't know. I I was worthy of death and separation from God. I had chosen darkness. But God called me. I saw my need. I saw my brokenness. I turned to God. I called upon him. I surrendered. I repented. I believed. I trusted in his provision for my sins so that I can walk in newness of life. Did you see that that tense of the verb? Friends, did you notice? He doesn't say, and such such are some of you. He says, such were some of you. You see, the wonderful thing about salvation, friends, is salvation leads to transformation. He doesn't leave us in our sin. God saves us from our sin. He makes us new. He gives us a new desire. And and if that doesn't happen, something is wrong. Maybe it's not real. So God's purpose for marriage Our problem, God's provision. Could I could I close just our time together? Just just thinking about marriage. Could I could I just a word to all of you? Could I talk just a word to the unmarried? Could I have a word to the married and to those who are divorced? Single people. If you get married, your commitment to marriage should be never divorce. It is a permanent contract. It is a one-way door. We go through it and there's no door left. That should be our understanding. In fact, you should be living a life right now that will make you be able to fulfill that. So often the problems of marriage are are past sins of singleness that are drawn into marriage. So you have an opportunity right now to be living godly in Christ Jesus. Married people. Brothers and sisters, you who are married, your commitment should be never divorce. I love what um, Ruth Graham once said in an interview. Ruth Graham was married to Billy Graham. Billy Graham, the, the evangelist who went over the world preaching the gospel. And someone was interviewing her. She was, she was quite older at the time. And, and the, the person asked him, Ruth, all those years of marriage, was there ever a time where you thought about divorce? Ruth Graham looked at the interviewer and said, divorce, never. Murder, that's another question. (laughs) You know, I love her answer because it admits that sometimes we don't understand each other. Sometimes we do a horrible job relating to each other. Sometimes we frustrate each other so bad. 
But in spite of all of that, we've made a covenant with God. We've made a covenant with this other person that God has joined our lives together. What if there's conflict? (laughs) What if there is conflict? (laughs) There will be conflict. Yeah. Much more than you ever anticipated. Turn to God and ask him to help you learning to resolve conflict in a way that glorifies God. What if my spouse is an unbeliever? Remain committed to your marriage. What, What if there is adultery? What if there's abuse? I'll read this because this was a helpful thing to, what they said was so well said. I got this out of gotquestions.org. If you ever go there, it gives biblical answers to a lot of things. Regarding abuse, it said, if you are in an abusive situation right now, whether the abuser is a spouse, a parent, a child, a caretaker, a teacher, a relative, or anyone else, please know that God does not want you to remain in that situation. It is not God's will for you to accept physical, sexual, or psychological abuse. Leave that situation. Find someone to help you. Stay safe and involve law enforcement immediately. Through it all, pray for God's guidance and protection. Because we believe in the permanence of marriage does not mean that we believe that people should be in a destructive relationship where there is abuse. That is not the will of God. And and I feel compelled to add this. If someone here is abusive, you physically have hurt someone, threatened violence, you've asked to hide this abuse, or you feel like you could become abusive. If there is any love for God in your heart or for those you have hurt, go and get help. Send me a text. Joe, I need to talk. Do not, do not let fear or shame Silence you. You need help. Do not say, I will change. God's word cannot be more clear. Proverbs 28, verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes him will obtain mercy. If there would be divorce, if there would be adultery, if there would be abuse, The need to separate is very, very real, but, but we would pray and seek, if possible, for there be reconciliation. But sometimes this isn't possible. Sometimes it's not possible. To my divorced brothers and sisters, Can I say this? Only God and you 
Know the depth of your pain. You've likely been grievously sinned against. You also likely sinned against your spouse. You may be the victim. You may be the cause. To some degree, you could be both. Have you confessed to God whatever sin and failure you committed in the divorce? If so, have you appropriated God's forgiveness? That is in confessing, saying, God, I'm confessing this to you as wrong, but God, I believe I have forgiveness with you. Your identity to God, your identity to, to others, to yourself is not divorced. Your identity is a child of God. Is divorce ever good? I, I, I don't think so. Is divorce commanded? No. But in extreme circumstances, it may be necessary. When I think of divorce, the best illustration I could give is that of a, an amputation. We're losing part of ourselves we will be missing part for us for the rest of our life. We talked about what the goal of marriage is. You might think, well, that's kind of oversimplistic. Really? Let's just get practical for a second. Let's say, let's say theoretically, theoretically, my wife and I get into a disagreement. Why is there, when that happens, there's this great and awful tendency for the heat to go up and yet the room get icy cold at the same time? I mean, how is that possible? Ice and heat. And, and, and you who are married, you know what I'm talking about. You see, because the moment my goal in conflict becomes, I am right, or you are wrong. Or for those who have the self-focused, self-abasing goal, well, I'm, we go from I am all right to no, 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 I'm all wrong, I'm all wrong. Don't, don't you see the problem? You see, at both extremes, self is still the focus. What do you think would happen if the next time I'm in conflict with my wife, each of us said, how can we glorify God in this conflict? How can God get glory in this? It's my opportunity to glorify God, to actually worship God, to turn my brokenness and myself and say, God, no, I, I, I want to turn to you. And I can't do this on my own, friends. I need God's grace. I need his strength. I need his power. But be assured that he will give that to us. It's a big deal, this topic, because it's a big deal to God. 
God says marriage is, is, is special to him. It's, it's, it's his gift. God doesn't always give answers why something is important. We just know it is important. We should be content with that. In this matter, though, marriage, God tells us why. He says marriage is so important because it is a picture of my love for my people. And if we should destroy that by our misconduct, by our sin, by our our selfishness, we are destroying that image of God's faithfulness to his people. The darkness and pain of divorce, it's like no other. And for for some of you today, that, that pain and regret, the hurt, the shame, all of that is probably very real. It's, it's like the horror of, of looking over a, a battlefield or some horrible catastrophe where there's just destruction, there's, there's horrible death. That could be you looking back at your marriage. That, that might be you looking at your present marriage. You only see death. Friend, you're not alone. The circumstances are slightly different, but can I read to you just to close Ezekiel chapter 37? Ezekiel 37, verse 1, Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. And it was full of bones. And he led me around them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. I have no idea. We are not told what happened here. If it was a battle, a catastrophe, there were bones spread about. And God wanted him to walk around. He wanted him to be overwhelmed by this. And God said to him, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord, Lord God, you know. Friends, maybe that is your marriage today. Maybe that is you looking back at a broken marriage. God is able to make dead bones live. We continue reading the text. And this is a picture that God speaks life to these bones. They come to life. This is what God does because our God is the God of all flesh and nothing is too hard for him. And we believe in the resurrection. And we believe that God can restore that which looks hopeless and is broken. What we have completely messed up, what is beyond our power is not beyond the power of the cross. And so friends, may we realize that we cannot walk in our own strength and power. We need God's. May it humble us. You who are married, brothers and sisters, protect your marriage. Invest in your marriage. Be building up one another. What a great gift we have. What a great privilege to be able to walk with others. Friends, let's close in prayer.
Father God, we pray. We pray and ask for your forgiveness, God. Oh God, for the mess that we've made of, of, of everything. All of us to have set aside you, your word, your command, we, we followed ourselves and we've turned good things to bad. Oh God, and we see the destruction. Oh God, I, I pray that, that you, would, you would bring life out of death. I pray, God, that there would be power for us to live godly in Christ Jesus. I pray, God, that the marriages here in our church would indeed bring you glory. So shift our focus, shift our eyes, God, to, to walk before you, to serve you, to, to, to lay down our lives and then to find them. God, I pray for those that are struggling right now. Oh God, draw their hearts to you. God, soften the hearts, restore. I pray for those that have gone through these deep valleys. They feel accused, they feel broken, they feel maybe ashamed. Oh God, may the light, the hope of the gospel shine brightly. May they know that those that have turned to you, God, that they are accepted in the beloved. There is no stain left. So God, help us to walk in the light as you are in the light. God, may we have fellowship with you. May we have fellowship with one another. May you receive the glory we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.